Hello, everybody. I'm Jacopo De Toni, and this is the FDI podcast. Today, I'm here with Harry Tillman, the founder and editor of China Investment Research, which has been tracking Chinese outbound investment since 2008 and focused much on the Belt and Road Initiative in uh, recent years. Welcome, welcome back, Harry. Um, the narrative around the Belt and Road Initiative has changed much over the past couple of years since the last time we spoke here at the FDI podcast. In a way, uh, several countries on the receiving end of a big Chinese infrastructure investment realize that it's not always a win-win situation as Beijing has been uh, trying to push for uh, for many for many years now. Uh, these projects, sometimes they do come with strings attached. First and foremost, it's a no-brainer with financial uh, strings. So do you believe that countries around the world will be more cautious moving forward when it comes to, to embracing the win-win narrative of the Belt and Road Initiative? Thank you, Jacopo. It's nice to be back again. And and you're absolutely right. Things have changed in the past couple of years. The first thing that's changed is that at the Belt and Road Forum in April of this year, President Xi and China have listened to lots of these messages or queries being raised. So there are a series of, of, of decisions taken to address these issues. Yes, for example, more education involved before someone takes a loan. Yep. That's just one example. But, I, but I, there's also a lot of noise around this, which I tend to want to, to take away from people that they start looking at numbers. So when people start talking about uh, debt burdens or debt traps, uh, Rhodium, which is one of our competitors, um, did an analysis they published at the second BRF forum uh, of looking at 50 billion of, of debt uh, al- along, this, along these uh, loans, uh, along the BRI. And that have been restructured, looked at or restructured, if you if you will, uh, only one charge off. So in all those five years, the only one st- charge off, as you well know, is is the is the uh, is in uh, uh, Sri Lanka. Right. But these have all been restructured. So yeah. I have been my career has thirty years in wholesale banking. I've sat on three major banks' credit committees. So restructurings are not unusual right. in, in the banking have, world. Yep. But they have so. But Beijing's very keen to get these messages through. Think, think carefully before you take the debt on. Think carefully, yes, about uh, uh, doability of when the, the cash flows come through. So they have begun to address this. But again, let's make it clear in all the, the this period of time, and the official number is 900 billion, it could be even bigger than that. You're talking about one, one loan where they've taken control of the assets. Right, right. Uh, but still, obviously, there are other countries that are trying to restructure their their the, the loans attached to BRI projects. Uh, for example, Malaysia uh, was was a big case. They restructured this. Uh, where they're trying to restructure the, the, the cost no, attached to this uh, big railway project. Uh, the Maldives is another country that has got, has, is facing this kind of debt trap um, related to to Chinese uh, investment, but countries like the Maldives, uh, the Maldives and Sri Lanka, in a way, face this sort of dilemma because they need infrastructure, and not necessarily very many people are willing to finance their infrastructure development. Um, and China, with uh, you know, in the narrative of the Belt Initiative, was keen to 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 finance this, to back these uh, developments. On the other hand, uh, obviously they are small economies, small countries, and their capacity to service this debt 
is, is, is more limited. And actually, I know for sure that some of these countries, uh, they are trying to change in a way the nature of uh, Belt and Road projects. They would like to see uh, Chinese companies more involved uh, in uh, FDI projects, pure uh, foreign direct investment projects. They would like Chinese companies to take on the risks of uh, this project as opposed to typical BRI projects where uh, China Development Bank uh, uh, puts in the money, but then uh, the, the host country has to give uh, uh, sovereign guarantees and so eventually becomes uh, a sovereign uh, debt. Do you see this uh, happening more and more in the future? Uh, yes, thank, that's a great question. Um, we, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's the other side of that argument as well, because in essence, with, if you look at some of these case studies, which we do, we've done one on Cambodia over an eight-year period of Cambodia being rebuilt, of Oman, which we've not published yet, but Cambodia has been published. And then last year, um, the government uh, issued one in Laos, where this is all... So in essence, China's taken the risk of the 2% returns and the 5% returns. But what's interesting in the case of Cambodia or the case of Oman is the returns, once it gets into the 15 to 20% returns, manufacturing, consumer goods, tourism... The bulk of that upside has actually come not from Chinese corporates. It's come from Japan, Korea, Singapore, France, Canada, in the case of Cambodia. And in, in the case of Oman, there's much greater investment in Oman from Saudi, Qatar, UAE, India, etc., and Japan. Right. And the same is true in uh, Pakistan. Right. So you think of the, the everyone sort of recoils with this big number of debt in, in Pakistan. But actually, in the last six months, $40 billion of equity has been pledged in Pakistan. Yes, and less than $2 billion of that's Chinese. So, so what, 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 what is still missing for Chinese companies to actually see the opportunity on the ground from a private investment perspective and you know, actually start identifying profitable projects and come in as a pure foreign direct investment? Good. That's another good question. So that's another component which people haven't started focusing on yet, called SEZs, yes? And to show how these have grown quickly, um, there were only, there are now 82 SEZs along the Belt and Road. So special economic zones. Special economic zones uh, that are linked between China and links between the local countries. Mm -hmm. um, to show you how these have grown, there were only 13 of these in 2015, 17 in 2016, and now 82 in 2019. And some of these are enormous. Yes, for example, in the Tangier port off Morocco, Yes, that's going to be a $10 billion economic, special economic right. zone, $1 billion of which will be, and it's Chinese, $10 billion. Yeah, yes. So there are big projects in Serbia, be, Belarus, just like to name a few. Well done. Those are the, those are the two major ones in, in Europe. Yeah. So we look at uh, Ethiopia. Um, so many countries are, are looking at this. It's the next stage of the Belt and Road, and it's done to the special economic zones, right. which all of which have special characteristics for each one. For example, Abu Dhabi is part of the Chinese, part of the big economic zone in Abu Dhabi, you get special uh, bites with uh, special deals with Etihad, for example. So it's the next, it's that. So you're talking about Belt and Road 101. There's a digital Silk Road that's associated with all these with tech hubs. Right. Over 60 of these tech hubs now. And there are now 82, if you will, SEZs, all are part, integral part of the Belt and Road, but people are still focused on, as you say, the infrastructure and energy that, and, and moving towards. Manufacturing. So in a, in a way, it tells us that the, 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 the characteristics of the Belt and Road Initiative are already evolving and developing as uh, some of these uh, uh, 
uh, I wouldn't say criticism, but some of these challenges are being it was incorporated it's, and it, addressed by Chinese authorities, right? It, I think it was it was very constructive. I think yeah. that President Xi and the uh, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I mean uh, uh, Sir Douglas Flint, who I think has done a great job for us here in the UK with the government, has basically described the uh, the Belt and Road Forum as President Xi picking up uh, these issues and just thumping everyone on the head. And to be fair, your uh, investment research, China investment research, also teamed up with the uh, United Nations uh, to to analyze the, the financial performance of uh, a number of selected uh, BRI project. And as far as I, uh, as far as I'm aware, the results were fairly encouraging from the fact that many of the projects that you analyzed actually delivered interesting, interesting uh, performance. It was an in- thank you very much for the. It was interesting because. We didn't get to choose those projects. The United Nations chose those projects. Which were uh, the, the, a mixture. The, the, the Piraeus port in Greece, for example, uh, a logistic project in uh, Duisburg, Germany, a tunnel in Uzbekistan. So also the variety of the project was very, very wide in a way. And, the, and so we would score those because we'd look at these things from financial returns point of view. And they, for the first time, because they're the United Nations, over had us overlay the SDG criteria on this. It was the first time ever to do financial returns and SDG overlay. And you're correct that um, of the 30 possible uh, TIXR outcomes, 21 were positive. Sort of five-ish were still to be developed, and some of those were not so positive. And part of that is also timing issues. For example, one of those projects is the stock exchange in Bangladesh. That's just going to take a period of time before that opens up to Chinese foreign investors. But for now, Rating that project now is not, the returns have not been great. Okay, uh, Harry, a very last question. Obviously, we cannot talk about BRI in China without mentioning the, 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 this uh, tra- trade feud between uh, China and, uh, and the US, which is inevitably affecting trade and investment in and out of, uh, of China. Uh, also, along uh, Belterol countries, I was uh, recently in Central Asia. And uh, I met the representatives of uh, telecom suppliers uh, other than Huawei because governments in those regions are looking for alternatives to Huawei 5G equipment, which is at the moment by far and large the most advanced over any other competitor, Nokia, Cisco, uh, Ericsson, uh, you name it. Uh, But still, there is uh, everybody, not everybody, but several countries are trying to adjust following in the, in the footsteps or in the line uh, drawn by, by the White House uh, with regard to this specific issue. So how do you think this uh, uh, trade dispute is going to affect uh, the Belt Road Initiative? I think it's a much bigger issue. I think you've touched on something what I consider to be a much bigger issue. You're, we have a study that, that tracks all financial technology developed from, from 20, 1960 through today. In essence, China missed the third industrial revolution. It was from 1960 to roughly 20, 2000, which America led. So America has all that data from 1960 to 2000, which China doesn't have. Right. So China's a late comer. So those are four major cloud capabilities. 40 years to head start, the USA has over, has over China, which has much smaller cloud competitors. Huawei's capabilities of 5G years ahead of this other technology. So by using Huawei technology the next few years, it helps close that gap between the US cloud and the Chinese cloud. Now, why is that important? AI, autonomous AI. 
Yes, because currently, with that 40-year head start on data for cloud, it gives the U.S. a huge competitive advantage to build autonomous AI, which China doesn't have. So the more you block Huawei, yes, or slow Huawei, if anything, slow it, then that you can maintain that distance for, if you will, competitive advantage for driverless cars or what you do for fridges. So it's a much bigger issue. Right. If you look closely at the trade battle, and it's not going to go away anytime soon, is it is that ma massive gap? Because unless it's that trade, that's a forty-year head start. They don't want to lose it. Harry Tillman, founder and editor of China Investment Research. Harry, where can people follow your research? Uh, ChinaInvestmentResearch.org. Just follow. Um, we uh, we put um, as much on there where people can actually stay up on, on some of this. What I just told you is not on the website, um, but you can follow that website or contact us via that website. And very many quarterly bulletins, uh, BRI polls, uh, uh, very interesting and insightful material on uh, your website. Thank you very much for being uh, with us again, Harry. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can follow all our podcasts on fdiintelligence.com slash podcast, ACAS, and iTunes. Stay tuned until the next time. Thanks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.